All right, welcome to Community Church. We're here in Spruce Grove Live today, and we're glad if you're on, and if you're on, you're the only ones hearing me, so you must be on. So it's great to have you joining us. We have a few people here in the room. We're allowed 50 in this room today, so we have maxed out. And so we're so excited to have some live uh, participation today. So sorry you can't be with us. But it doesn't matter in the sense that what is accomplished here in this room can be accomplished right there where you're at. And today we have an opportunity. I was just in the prayer room with some folks and the scripture from Isaiah chapter 6 began to flood to my, into my being. And that and the other passage. But this is the point that God is always looking for partnership. And uh, as Isaiah has this revelation of the throne of God and the majesty of God. It says he heard a voice saying, whom shall we send and who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? In another passage, it says God sought for a man to stand in the gap. God sought for a man to participate with him in intercession. God is always looking for partnership in the earth. God is always looking for co-laborers, people who will not only work with him, but also be heirs of this kingdom. Today, we have an opportunity, not just to receive but to give. Because our role is to represent the kingdom of heaven on earth. We have a sound. We have a voice. We have a faith that articulates what is in heaven on the earth and thereby begins to manifest in this world what is already in heaven. And so we're going to begin to worship God today with this intent that the majesty of God that is hidden from the eyes of natural men that is hidden from the minds of those that are blinded, that it will begin to seep into this atmosphere, that it begin to fill the streets. Revival. Revival is a moment when this presence begins to flow unabated into the streets of our communities. When people driving by our churches and driving by our homes and standing next to us suddenly feel the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Let's worship him today. Let's release heaven on earth and not just hope that one day it comes, but realize it's happening right now as we sing, as we declare, as we release our faith. Father, we want to thank you today that you are a good, good God and your every intention toward us is higher in intent and virtue than anything we can imagine. You are the very definition of pure. You are just and true. And Father, I pray that the canopy of your presence, Lord, would settle in over every household, over every heart that is listening and attentive. God, that every place that is touching this place electronically and by faith today, God, that there'll be a transmission of an atmosphere of revelation in life. That, Father, the cords of darkness will be broken over lives and hearts and households. That curses will be undone. That wickedness and its strategies will be suspended. 
Father, we say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We are talking today. This is part two in a series of two, unless there's a third. That's the way we roll. Uh, On the mother of all conspiracies. And so... There's a lot being said about conspiracies today. And I'm, I'm not here actually to say this one's true, this one's not. There are some that are true. But the important thing is, see, you can't quantify one way or another what is true, what isn't true. I mean, there are some out there that are obviously false. And I'd like to talk about why is it that all of these theories appear? Well, it's the same reason why you have 100 religions and you know, 500 denominations and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's all for the purpose of obfuscation. That's a good word. You should write that down. It it means to make unclear uh, or to be unclear. So anyway, but I'm not here to define strictly and give you a list of all of the different conspiracy theories, which ones are valid, because it doesn't really matter on one level. The only one that really matters is the one that is being weaved together by the powers of darkness. And so last week we began to talk about the mother of all conspiracy theories, the one that no one talks about. Because what the enemy does is he likes to hide in plain sight. You know, we've heard that, that, that uh, I think it was uh, recently, uh, it was a movie it was mentioned on, Nathan Hunt, Mission Impossible, best possible secret place, hide in plain sight. And what the enemy does is when he thinks people are onto him, he just obfuscates by creating a thousand of the same so when God says, uh, has Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, you're the way. All right, boom. Now suddenly there's a thousand ways that look like this way. And the closer one way looks to the other, the harder it is to find out the one that's authentic. And so the enemy is always trying to hide his deeds in the midst of many deeds. Or when he's trying to keep people from finding the things that God wants them to find, he'll hide them amongst many versions of that same thing. So the strategy of the enemy is hide in plain sight. And so he's trying to keep us from identifying those things that belong to this network of the kingdom of darkness on the earth by creating versions that, that cause confusion. Furthermore, furthermore, then he creates layers of foolish versions so that our tendency is to dismiss all of them because we have neither the time, the patience, or the energy to search it all out. And so uh, he, he, he succeeds. We see this in the church sometimes. When, when the Lord is restoring something, when the Lord is restoring the prophetic, when he's restoring worship, when he's restoring authentic manifestations of worship, like in dance or, or expressions physically that are beyond simple clapping and singing, then the enemy will bring along presumptuous, foolish, arrogant people to do things out of the Spirit and to multiply the options by 100 so that we get tired of the whole thing and write it all off. So uh, that's the way he works, and we need to realize that. But with that, there's still things to be discerned. And one of the things I, I, uh, I've always been inclined to is, is this, is I want to be like Paul. And Paul said this, we are not ignorant 
of the enemy's devices. I want you to think about that for a second. The Apostle Paul said, we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. We understand the way the kingdom of darkness works. Now, it goes the other way as well. I want to understand how God works. I want to understand God's ways and God's means. But here's, here's the thing. Because the enemy is always working as the inverse of what God is doing. He's always trying to, to invert, you know, and copy and twist. There is always a version of what he is doing that is in proximation close to what God is doing. Or the absolute inverse of what God is doing. And so sometimes when you see the way that God operates... You know, you can, you can begin to see from there, well, the enemy is going to do some version of the opposite. And so we are neither ignorant of the enemy's devices, nor should we, of course, be ignorant of the way that God works. But the one can help manifest with clarity the other and vice versa. So today I wanted to talk about, I'm going to look at some scriptures. You have to have, happen to have a Bible. If you happen to be taking notes, I'm going to look at Matthew 4, 1 John 2, 16, 2 Timothy 2, 25, Matthew 16, 21. But we'll get to those. <laughs> so when you think about all of the possible uh, conspiracy theories out there, there's ones that we easily dismiss. You know, I mean, I just saw a mention of this again the other day. <clears throat> Somebody who decided that the moon landing was a hoax. All right. Again, once, you know, that, that, is, that is a conspiracy theory. That's easily dismissed simply because of this. The, the, uh, the logistics of creating a lie around this requires so many people to collude together for no possible benefit or very little benefit. And there's such an advancement of knowledge and technology around what's happening. It's just not possible for that to not be proven utterly wrong if, in fact, the moon landing didn't happen. So it's ridiculous. We can dismiss it. And there's a numbers, number of others along that line. But for those of us that are thinking, yes, but shouldn't we be aware of what's happening globally? Shouldn't we be aware of what's happening with the, the, the intentions? I mean, if there's going to be an antichrist, if there is this global effort to enslave nations and mankind, shouldn't, how can we be aware of how that is advancing in our lives? How can we be aware of what's happening? Well, we can be aware. But even if we are aware, we're not necessarily going to stop some of those things. And we don't necessarily have to stop one of, some of those things. Because what God is doing in these days, and we need to realize this, is he's bringing mature, to maturity both godliness and ungodliness. The time of harvest is not just a time when that which is good grows up, but it's a time when that which is evil grows up. But here, at the end of the day, what God is demonstrating is the supremacy over what is good, over what is evil. And that's what he is doing in the midst of our lives, that he is growing us into this expression that defeats what the enemy is doing. So for those of us who, uh, this is an area of interest, I may not uh, satisfy your hunger, but uh, I want to go into the biblical perspective. What do we know about what the enemy is doing? What do we know then conversely about what God is doing? And how can we stand for righteousness as it pertains to our world? You know, because some of these things have practical implications. Somebody said to me the other day, well, they actually wrote me an email and they were, they were bothered about something I said. 
That usually never happens. <laughs> but somebody was bothered about what I was saying, and, and they were saying, you know, why aren't you just more concerned about souls than about this other political stuff? Well, because I understand history, and I'm not a total idiot. I've looked at, you just have to look back 100 years. And the truth is, political environments in nations will determine how far-reaching the gospel can be shared. In the days of, of Israel, when Jezebel was ruling, the prophets had to hide in caves. They were killed if they were found openly doing anything related to the one true God. And so the political environment of the day, right, kind of inhibited the manifestation of righteousness. Let me tell you, that intention, right, while it may have ebbed in our day, maybe it's not as prevalent in our culture, maybe we're not living in places where politically we are forbidden to meet together. Then again, maybe we are. But, but maybe, maybe it's not against the law to evangelize today. But there are nations of the world where it is against the law. And let me make this clear. It is the enemy's intention to restrict the gospel here in the same way that he's restricted everywhere else. And while, relatively speaking, compared to what's happening in this nation over here, maybe Islamic nations where you're not allowed to be Christian, you're not allowed to share your faith, you can't convert people, maybe that is not the law here. But I got, you have to know that it's the enemy's every intention to make it so. And he is a legalist, and he will do that one line after another. So I'm reading a book to that end. It talks about the way that the law was used in pre-Nazi Germany, actually as Nazi Germany was emerging, and how they excluded Jews from public life, layer by layer by layer, very systematically. It, it mirrors what's happening now. So it's not that we are going to be giving credit to the enemy by investing in these affairs, but we need to realize our freedom to live and move according to our desire today is established by the rules of law. Now, we have the rule of law that's based in the Constitution in Canada, that's based in a knowledge of God. It comes out of a, a Judaistic Christian faith, and that's great. And it allows us certain privileges, but there is an intention by many to take away those privileges, and they're using every means necessary. To, to categorize Christian faith as something dangerous, something wicked, something that needs to, that needs to be uh, removed from our schools, removed from our streets, removed from the public market. This is really happening. This is really happening. Now, the question is, is everybody who doesn't agree with us a part automatically have a global conspiracy and they're members of the Illuminati and they, you know, they have 666 stamped somewhere in their armpits. And, you know, I mean, how widespread is this thing? How coordinated? What level of collusion? Do we have to be checking under every rock for what's happening? No, because we know where the headquarters of this thing is. And that's what matters. And the weaponry that God is giving us may have an outflow in terms of um, things we should be doing politically, socially, in our culture, in our, in our government, because we have freedoms to do that. The reality is God is creating an effective sound coming out of the church that will destroy the works of darkness. But we need to understand what it is we're dealing with in the same way Paul did. I am not ignorant, he said. We are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. 
So let's explore that for a little bit. And uh, because, uh, let me back up for a second, because we're going to realize that even though there might be some global conspiracy to try to enslave the nations, not every expression that seems to be in line with that is necessarily equally in line with another expression. In other words, these things aren't necessarily colluding together but openly, but it doesn't mean they aren't under the same spirit. And that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. There is a spirit at work. So last week, we talked about this. And we looked at that scripture that Paul articulated. He said, listen, before I was a Christian, essentially saying in Ephesians chapter 2, I walked just like you uh, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. He said, listen, there's a common thread in all that are fallen, in, that, in all that have not been detached from this present age, there is a spirit at work inside of them to bring them to common conclusions, to bring them to uh, some common ground, and to find so that they find some agreement all the time. So that's happening. But let's talk about this for a second. What is the construct of the kingdom of darkness? Turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. What is Matthew 4? Matthew 4 is where Jesus went into the wilderness... And we have this scenario. We need to see something because I've entitled this part here, Soldiers and Pawns. Soldiers and Pawns. By that I mean when the enemy is working in the earth, everybody who is not saved is on some level influenced under the power, led by, guided by, and different degrees, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. The spirit. He is the God of this world, the Bible says. And you should... You know what? Sometimes we're so reactionary. I heard somebody say the other day, don't call him the God of this world. God is the God of this world. Well, if Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air and you know the apostles call him the God of this world, I don't think we need to be embarrassed or sheepish about being biblical. So let's stop the nonsense, right? Amen. Put that on your bumper sticker. Stop the nonsense. <laughs> All right. So... Anyway, we know in chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness. He, he's fasting and praying for 40 days. And then after the 40 days are over, it says uh, that the enemy showed up in verse 3. And it says, the enemy showed up. Uh, and now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So let me, let me, let me say something. Lucifer appeared to Jesus actually spoke. These are real words. These are out loud. This is, this is actually happening. Lucifer appeared in the natural realm right there. He had the power to do that, to confront Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and to begin to have a face-to-face interaction with him. He says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus responds, so many things we could say about this. He quotes the scripture, man shall live not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Look at verse 5, the next part. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. In his hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Of course, Jesus has the proper retort for that, you know. Shall not tempt the name of the Lord your God. But what are we seeing here? 
we are seeing an interjection, a physical interjection, a manifestation in the human timeline. Satan is literally appearing to Jesus. Not only that, he's speaking real words in Aramaic, in, in Jesus' understood language at the time. Then he is able to physically translate Jesus from the wilderness into the heart of Jerusalem, up to the pinnacle, and say, listen, do this. Introduce yourself to the nation right now in this way, and they will see you. It can happen. But of course, Jesus knew what he was doing. This is a demonic... If I do this at your bidding, then I'm being led by your spirit. I'm doing this by the power of the spirit that's at work within you. I mean, everything about it obviously is contrary to the way in Jesus was supposed to operate, but we need to understand that this really happened, right? Look, look, at, the next, look at the next one. And then he says to him, uh, again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the glory, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Again, Jesus' response is, is above reproach. It's a wonderful response. But we need to, set, to see what happened there. Satan took Jesus physically to a high mountain and somehow was able to parade in front of him the glory and the power at the nations. He was able to manifest or demonstrate or bring a revelation of everything his hand had control over as the God of this world. Jesus said no. And that's great. But a little while ago, I can't remember the scenario, but we were praying about something and somebody had made a statement about some figure in the earth, and he's called him a satanic apostle. And when I heard those words, I suddenly saw this encounter that Satan had with Jesus, where Jesus said no, and the Spirit of God whispered to me, do you think that Jesus was the first man that Satan ever appeared to? Let me tell you, if you are in charge of or heading up a global conspiracy to, to take over the nations. Yeah, you have your spiritual beings, but the reality is physical conquest cannot be manifested without physical presence. And so you need a stake in the game. You need to recruit from the actual heirs of the authority of rulership and dominion over the earth. Satan has appeared to men other than Jesus, and most of those men, well, I can't even say that. Many of those men have said yes. We need to realize, you see, when it comes to the global conspiracy that the enemy is bringing, there are people on the earth that are satanic apostles. By that, they have seen Lucifer. You know, one of the definitions, one of the qualifications for an apostle is that they saw Jesus. You know, the apostles saw. The first 12, qualification to be in that group, is they saw Jesus. Paul was added to that group, and in one sense, he saw Jesus. Jesus manifested himself to him. And so, by the same token, you remember, the enemy always follows patterns. 
right? So his apostles are being actively recruited by a manifestation of him to them. An offer is made, there's an enlistment, there's a contractual agreement, and there is a release of power and authority for the kingdom of darkness. So, but here's the thing. There's two levels. I mean, there's more than two, but there's two major classifications in the kingdom of darkness. There are pawns and there are soldiers. Soldiers are people who have had a glimpse of this thing from the inside. They are insiders. They know what the ultimate goal is about. They have been given access. It's kind of like the Pentagon. You know, things, there's some things that are above your security clearance. Well, there's some people who have security clearance in the kingdom of darkness, and they know that what this is about, and they are part of the inner collusion. But the bulk of the army, that the people that the enemy uses are not of that sort. The bulk of the people are, are, are numbed in their minds. They're numbed. You know, I was just reading the other day about, uh, actually, we were talking uh, about, about intelligence. You heard IQ, right? You know what IQ, intellectual intelligence? I'm always amazed how intellectual intelligence does not help you with kingdom things. I'm always amazed how intellectual intelligence doesn't help you with wisdom. Uh, on the other hand, now, recently, you've heard something called yeah, is it EI? Yeah, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. And I actually wrote down a definition. It doesn't really matter. But it really has to do with the, the ability to navigate relationships, read people, and have success in, success in life through, through your interactions. Well, there's another call, thing that, that need, we need to grow in. It's called SI, spiritual intelligence. And spiritual intelligence is something that grows and it's not commensurate with your chronological life. You can be, you can be a young man and have a high level of spiritual intelligence, insight, prophetic gifting. The word of God can be flowing through you. Spirit of revelation. It's about tapping into a knowledge from a realm that is not emotional and not, not, not in, uh, in, deduced through the mind, through the abilities, cognitive abilities of the mind. So there are people today that God is raising up on the side of the kingdom of God with a new level of SI. Start asking God for some SI. Lord, I want to be, I want to be one of those ones. If people can have a success in the earth through EI, I want to have success in the earth through SI. All right? And I, I believe that the amount of SI you have will greatly multiply the amount of EI that you have. Woohoo! And I think if you actually get a lot of SI and EI, it'll greatly multiply the kind of uh, IQ. Should be something I, eh? Anyway. (laughs) Um, So in the kingdom of darkness, we need to realize that that there there is a strategy to keep some people out of the know. And so people can be... Uh, there's so many illustrations I, give, I can give for this. But keep, people can be walking in step with a group over here and yet not have any cross-pollination. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is where a lot of the conspiracy theorists really spend a lot of wasted time. They're trying to make connections between this and this. And this may not even be true. This may not even be true. And what establishes either of these is not the fact that there's a relationship because there's a spirit at work. And even though they don't actually interact across here, they are, might still be in league with one another if they are under the power of the spirit of the air, the age, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So now John said it this way. 
when he was talking about the world. He said, listen, he said, there's things that work in the world and we are, it's our goal. We are divorcing ourselves of those things. We are becoming unplugged from the world around us. And so he writes in 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Now, let me, let me just articulate this, and I know it's getting a little complex and I'm throwing a bunch of things in, but these are all scriptures we should know. The lust of the eye, the, lu- the, lust, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. Those three things, he said, that's all that's in the world. Now, what the enemy does is he creates pawns by making you subject to these things. And if you think about your journey as a Christian, one of the things that God is doing is making irrelevant the lust of the flesh, making irrelevant the lust of the eye, making irrelevant the pride of life. In other words, trying to get you to a place where you are not responsive to these, the impulses of these things. Because to the degree that you are impulsive or, or responsive to the impulse of these things, you, the, to that degree you are under slavery, you are under bondage. And this was the thing that the Pharisees didn't understand because they were religious. They thought, they're, you know, we, we know what we're doing. We're, we're not born of fornication. And Jesus said, you don't understand. You are already a slave. You don't even know it. You are a slave to a spirit you don't understand and to a system you don't understand. He that serves sin is the servant of sin or commits sin is the servant of sin, Jesus said. Slavery is not what it's made out to be as, we've, as we think of it traditionally. Everybody in the world that is not unplugged from the spirit of this world is a slave. And the manifestation of that slavery might be obvious in some cases, and it might not be obvious in other cases, but Jesus says it is equal across the board. Now, that's part of the gospel of the kingdom. We need to realize that. But I, I want to read something to you. This is really interesting. This is actually, maybe you can guess where this come from, but I'm going to really read a, sent, a series of sentences. It's actually a quotation. Don't yell it out if you know where it came from. The world is a system. That system is our enemy. When you look around, what do you see? You see businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still part of that system and that makes them our enemy most of these people are not ready to be unplugged and many of them are so inured so hopelessly dependent on the system that they will fight to protect it if you are not one of us you are one of them anyone we haven't unplugged is potentially an agent of this system inside the world inside this system They are everyone, and they are no one. (laughs) Yeah, that is a quote from The Matrix, which is to me is a metaphor of the way uh, that that picture is actually the way that the spirit that is, is conspiring to dominate the nations, dominate the people of the earth, that spirit is at work. And people don't even know it's at work. They don't even know what it means to unplug. This is why, and man, I could talk about this for a long time. This is why people have to be born again. Born again is your first detachment from the system of the world. Being born again is where, for the first time, you have the opportunity 
to act, act outside of the impulses uh, uh, under which you are, you are bound. Being born again gives you, for the first time, an ability to act out of the manifestation of another system, another spirit, another kingdom. Now you think, really, is it, is it really that direct? Is the, is the ability of the enemy to manifest himself in people's lives, is it really that autocratic? I mean, does he really have that much authority? Way more than people know. Now, you know, the illusion that people have out there, outside of Christ, is that they have freedom. And that was the illusion that Jesus came to break. That's the first truth he came to break. And it was the one that was most offensive to the religious culture of his day. People who were under the presupposition that they were acting on behalf of God, that they were acting on behalf of nobility, uh, virtue, righteousness, holiness, because they were involved in a system that had the trappings of that stuff. So Jesus came and said, yeah, no, you are equally in bondage and equally doomed to failure. You remember that part of his message? Remember when he said, you remember the, you remember the, the, the tower that fell on the men of Siloam? He said, do you think they were you know, more righteous you know, than others? He was talking about these tragic people. He said, listen, all those people, you think, oh yeah, they died because they're bad and we're good. And he said, no, you're all in the same boat. There's none good, no, not one. You have no ability to be unplugged from a universal spirit that infects the whole earth. Sin is an infection, and everybody, every, every waking person, everybody with eyes and feet who's alive, who has a mind, everybody who thinks, everybody who feels, is infected and touched by that disease. And the cure is Jesus Christ. But this is what... Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 2 Timothy 5, 25 to 26. He says, in, he's talking about the, the men of God. He's talking about pastors, leaders, and, and how we need to approach others who are not yet unplugged. He said, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance, will give them an ability to unplug, to turn out of that system, and to acknowledge the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Listen, we are here helping people unplug from slavery they don't even know is on them. That makes them con- conspirators in a system they don't even know is out there. Wow, pawns underneath soldiers, underneath a, a demonic general whose desire is to just steal, kill and destroy. But he says, uh, and we're hoping that these may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are, ca- who are taken captive, sorry, who are taken captive by him at his will. Think of the implications of that. Oh, yeah, but why would God send this person to hell? You know, they're nice. They're nice. So, what you mean by they're nice is they've grown up in a value system that says in order to get ahead in this world, in order to be successful, in order to demonstrate you have some EI, you should be nice to people because that'll get you what you want. That's very selfless. 
the nature of all righteousness outside of Jesus Christ is self-righteousness. There is no other kind. Let me, let me say that again. Many Christians out there don't even understand this. If we could have righteousness outside of the righteousness that comes from Jesus, Jesus would not have needed to go to the cross. If we could be good enough, if we could have in and of ourselves some virtue that is equal to uh, God's measure of virtue, then we would not need Jesus. Politeness, sincerity, a gentle demeanor, none of these things gets you into heaven. Righteousness is a commodity that is so high in value, it cannot be apprehended through pretend behavior, sincere behavior, devoted behavior. There is nobody more devoted than right behavior than the Pharisees. And Jesus said, you are deceived. You are plugged into a system that is doomed for destruction. I've come with a lifeboat to bring you out to give you the opportunity to enter into another system, to be a part of another covenant, to be a part of another kingdom. But you have to do it through me. I have to give you my righteousness because yours is of no value whatsoever. And while, while you know, it's great. It's great on one level that, that you're trying to be good. But the evil in you trying to be good is in the belief that you can be. It is the confusion between your righteousness and my righteousness. You don't know how much higher my righteousness is from your righteousness. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Jesus, I mean, God rebuked in the Old Testament. He rebuked the nation of Israel. He said, you thought that I was altogether like you. I'm not like you. I'm holy. Holy means other than. Are you guys with me? So, so there, is a, there is a detachment that's needed, a dramatic experience where you come out of the darkness and into the light. Born again is not just convincing somebody to come to church and read their Bible. It is an experience where life enters them and detaches them from a value system that is rooted in themselves to a value system that's rooted in the love of God. And uh, that is a miracle. And that's what I love about this, ar- this articulation of these two systems and being unplugged. Well, let me, let me go on. But this is what I, what I want to say. What do you know about the kingdom of God? What do you know about the weapons of warfare that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds? There are treasures in heaven, treasures available in the kingdom of God. Hear me now. Everybody's distracted in this room. Hear me now. There are treasures available to us. And we're not here just to attend churches on Sunday. What we are doing is accessing things that are in heaven and making them plain. There are weapons that are mighty through God. You see, those people that we're talking about, your neighbors, people you work with that are under the uh, hypnotic power of the spirit of this world. They in themselves have no ability to be free. But God says, I'm going to give my people weapons that are mighty 
to the pulling down of strongholds. I want to give you weapons for pulling down strongholds. I want to give you weapons so you can break that hypnotic power over the minds of people. But you have to get to know those weapons and you have to be able to use them. And church is not about satiating your, your, your conscience. You know, I wasn't such a great Christian this week. I better go to church so I can balance the record. You know, we're not balancing any records. If that's why you got into church, you're not getting much out of church. Amen, they said. I heard that. Yes, hallelujah. If you're coming to satiate a guilty conscience, you, I mean, come and get some of the real stuff. But let me tell you, God is raising up an army. God is raising up warriors. Because just the same way that there are soldiers and pawns in the kingdom of darkness, there are soldiers but not pawns in the kingdom of light. They're just little soldiers and big soldiers, powerful soldiers and ignorant soldiers. There are people that are informed about the weaponry and there are people that are ignorant of the weaponry. But God wants you to be a deliverer. He wants you to be a harvester. He wants you to be ones that unplug people from the spirit of this age, that take the atmosphere of this present world that's crushing and defeating and shaming and breaking them and lifting that atmosphere off of them and bringing them into another. There are weapons mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, introducing people not just to a system of morality, but to a kingdom and to freedom for their first time ever. I want to say today, Christian, this is a time to answer the call. This is a time to enter a time, a season of training, a season of preparation, a season of impartation, because God is about to release new anointings for setting people free from the spirit of this world. And it's available. It's available today for you. You just have to lean in. It's not going to happen like this today, right now. It happens in increments, but you have to want it. You have to desire it. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for everyone listening. God, I pray that the miracle of being born again, the miracle of unplugging people from the system of this world, the miracle of seeing children delivered from the pride of life and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye, God would be exhilarating, as exhilarating to us as it is to the angels in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.